0: Bible, you run across this particular passage in your one-year one Bible, and you're like, oh, really? It's going to be one of those days where I don't know if I really get it, Lord. I'm not sure that I really understand what you're trying to say to me here. It looks like a laundry list. It looks like a, a, name, a bunch of names that I can't pronounce. It just, it's a struggle for me, God. Why, why is this in, in the pages of your word? And, and, and I am tempted sometimes to skip over passages like this. But God has challenged me that I don't need to. That, that I need to go and we need to look and, and we need to, to, to see what God has to say to us. And we don't need to ignore any particular passage. We need to, to go through it and look at what it says to us. So that's what we're going to do in t- today in Nehemiah chapter 7. We know that, that Nehemiah and, and the crew in Jerusalem they rebuilt the walls in 52 days. I mean, like, it's record time. These are some manufacturing jokers. I mean, like, they're going at it, they got the, the wall rebuilt. And, and, and things are going good, but we also know that during this time of rebuilding, they face some opposition. Like us in our lives, we face opposition. And what, what kind of opposition do they face? Well, number one, they, they had some people making fun of them to try to distract them from building the walls. They had some people poking fun of them, saying, that'll never work, you'll never make it, you'll never get through it. Yeah, whatever you do, it'll fall back apart again. And you hear that in your ears all day long when you try to rebuild the walls in your life and try to strengthen and fortify what God is doing in your life. You hear these constant people making fun of you for the fact that you are pursuing God. And, and then we notice that, well, that didn't work. So the enemy took on a new tactic. He said, okay, well, here's what we'll do. Uh, Sanballat and Tobiah, these guys, are, they tried making fun of them. It didn't really work. Then they started to threaten them, right? And They started to say, we're going to attack you is what's going to happen. And so what did, what did Nehemiah do? He said, okay, well, that's fine. You can attack us, but we're still going to build. And they built with a trowel in one hand and a sword in the other and said, all right, if that's what you want, we're still going to build, but, but you're going to you're gonna have to kill us to keep us from building. And that's the kind of leader Nehemiah was. Well, we, we read that in chapter 4. We took a break in chapter 5. In chapter 6, we went on to see that the opposition kind of ramped up its game a little bit, right? Well, one of the things they did was they said, well, well, let's invite him to come over and hang out with us and maybe we can attack his pride a little bit and, and maybe his pride will well up and, and he'll join us. Maybe if we, if we say, come hang out with the cool guys for a little bit, maybe that way we can get Nehemiah on our side. And that's what we see in chapter 6. And then what else do they do in chapter 6? Then they, they say, well, that didn't work. We tried to get him on our side. That didn't work. Now, what, what, So they make up lies about him. So we, you're trying to be the governor. You're trying to be the ruler. You're trying to set up an empire for yourself. And, and we're going to send word back to the king that that's what you're doing. And what does Nehemiah say? He, he's got some very profound words. He says, what you're saying is not true. Everything that you're saying you made up in your own mind. That's what he says. He says, you're a liar. Yeah. Amen. You're a liar. By the way, in case you're wondering, Satan is the father of lies, okay? In case you're wondering that, in case you're like, where do lies come from? The father of lies, right? So when when Satan promises you something, let me tell you something. It's a lie. It's a lie. And and, and by the way, you know that that, that Jesus was tempted by Satan, that Satan had an actual one-on-one with Jesus and, and and. and, Jesus, and he told Jesus, if you just bow down and you'll worship me, then I will give you all of these kingdoms. I will give you rule and reign of everything. You'll be set up high on a pedestal. And, okay, let me ask you a question. If he had bowed down and worshipped Satan, if he, if he had succumbed to Satan and said, okay, I'm going to bow down and worship you, would Satan have done that? <laughs> no. You know why? Because he's the father of lies. Because he's the father of lies. So everything he's trying to sell you is a lie. And here, this is exactly what the enemy's doing, trying to make up lies about Nehemiah. It doesn't work. So what do they do? The the tactics of the enemy really kind of crack me up here. And so what do they do? So they get a guy that looks like he's a good guy, and they say, all right, all you got to do, man, they're coming, look, they're not coming to attack you tomorrow or next week or next... Thursday, or or six months from now, they're coming to attack you tomorrow, so let's go hide out in the temple. We'll lock the doors, and we'll be safe and sound in the temple, and and, and nobody will get you in there. And what's the big deal about that? Well, it was illegal. It was not right. It was immoral for Nehemiah to go into the temple. So they were trying to do something that would cause his integrity, integrity to be crushed. Can you believe for a second that the enemy would try to do something to get your integrity to be crushed? As a way to discredit you, to keep people from following you or doing what you're doing in your pursuit of Christ. That your integrity might be crushed. That's a good tactic of the enemy, right? So what I challenged you with last week is this. Is that as you do the work of God, as you continue to pursue God, seek the face of God, follow the will of God for your life and you face opposition... I suggested you do this, that not that you stand there and take it, or not that you stand there and let it bounce off of you and not affect you, but instead do this, that you go straight into the fire, that you run against the opposition, that you run up the down escalator, if you will. You know what I mean? Like, I know it may look like an exercise in futility, but just run as hard as you can in the face of the opposition. That you not let it distract you, you let it set you on fire and make you want to do more for the kingdom of God. Not do less. And that's what we saw Nehemiah doing, isn't it? He said, you have not done anything but make me mad enough to want to do more. I believe that's the picture of us. And what we're supposed to do is, as we follow God, as we are challenged by the opposition... I think that the, the opposition, it, sh- it should motivate us to do more. It should motivate us to go deeper, draw closer. Not distract us from the mission that God has called us to. So Nehemiah chapter 7. Admittedly, this is a trans- transitional passage here. This is basically a registry of people. is what we see in the latter part of chapter 7. And it has meaning, and we're going to cover that meaning, and we're going to talk about that, but I want us to look closely at the first few verses of chapter 7, because what we're seeing here is, in chapter 6, it was like, this was the wrapping up, this is the finishing of the rebuilding of the wall. And it's very important, the fact that the wall was finished up, and that's a great thing. Well, beginning in chapter 8, we start to see the rebuilding of the people, the strengthening of the people inside the walls. But chapter 7 is transitional. It's, if, if you're thinking about a seesaw, it's, it's that big log in the middle. You know what I mean? Like, this is where we are. And here, let's look at what God's Word says to us. In Nehemiah chapter 7. After the wall was finished and I had set up the doors and the gates and the gatekeepers and singers and Levites were appointed. Is there something here maybe we should digest for a second? After the wall was finished and I had set up the doors in the gates. So you remember there were, there were times when, when they had the gates, they hadn't had the doors set. So now the doors are set in the gates, okay? All right, good. The gatekeepers, singers, and Levites were appointed. Can you imagine? This is cool, all right? I, I like this. I, I, there's certain things you, you could miss, I guess, if you don't just pause for a second and go, what is, what is verse 1 saying to us here? So he says he set up the gatekeepers. All right, what's a gatekeeper? It's a dude that keeps the gates, right? Like he protects the gates. He's there at the gate. He's, He's watching over the gate to make sure nobody comes through the gate. That's what a gatekeeper is, right? So that's good, Nehemiah. That makes sense, all right? So we got walls, and we got some gates, and the doors are in the gates. Let's set up some gatekeepers. All right, good job, Nehemiah. I like that way of thinking, all right? But that's not all he does, So he's got people to protect the gates. Why is that? Because the enemy doesn't just sit down once the work is accomplished, right? That you still need protection from the enemy, even though the walls are built, the gates are in, the doors are up, you still need protection. So he he puts some people in charge of the protection still. Wouldn't, wouldn't Wouldn't it be our mindset a little bit to say, all right, the walls are built, the gates are up, the doors are in? Let's chill. Wouldn't that be our mindset? I know I would be tempted to do that. To say, hey, man, things are going great now. Let's just relax a little bit. Let's not make a big deal out of things. Let's just sit back and kick our feet up and eat some Cheetos and like drink a Dr. Pepper. It'll be good now, man. We're good, all right? Things are good. Isn't that exactly when the enemy comes full force? Is when we let our guard down? I, I mean... Isn't it wise of Nehemiah to say, you know what? We got some gates and we got some doors. Let's put some people in front of them. Let's put some people behind them to manage those gates, to manage those doors. You know, we don't need to let our guard down. Now, I'm going to give you just a, a personal example for me. Last Sunday, the 9 o'clock and 11 o'clock service, I preached to you a message about running through the fire, running into the fire, running up the down escalator, running against the opposition, going straight into the face of that opposition, right? And I told you that the enemy will attack you if you're doing a work of God. I told you that that will happen. That was on, on, on Sunday afternoon, approximately 12 p.m. 26 and a half hours later, I get a phone call from my wife's aunt who said that, Kenny... I was on the phone with Kasha, and she's just been in an accident, and she said it was really bad. She said, I don't know where she is. I-, I don't know exactly what's going on with All I know is she's been in an accident. 26 and a half hours after me having preached a message about the opposition attacking us, this is what her car looked like. She got rear-ended at 60 miles an hour. Somebody was doing 60 miles an hour. She had almost come to a stop when she was trying to make a right turn into our neighborhood. Her car flipped about three times before it finally hit a telephone pole, which you see is the indention over here on the back passenger side door. Twenty-six and a half hours after me having preached to you that the opposition will attack you, this is what we were faced with. I was on the other side of Atlanta. I was working in Covington, Georgia that day, and I got this phone call. I didn't know where she was. I didn't know what condition she was in. All I know is that she had a wreck. I'm thankful that today, uh, Kasha is here with us. Uh, She got some stitches in her forehead. She's got a staple up there, and She's got something going on with her collarbone and, and we don't know exactly what that is but you know all the x-rays show everything's lined up so we have to just let it kind of heal. But I'm telling you you don't need to let your guard down. If you think you got it made because you're doing the will of God and you're pursuing God and seeking God you don't need to let your guard down. Because here's the way the enemy works. He, he attacks He doesn't just attack you, man. He attacks you where it hurts the most. Your kids, your spouse, your family. The people you love the most. That's real, folks. That's real. And that's the MO of the enemy. To do whatever he can do to try to distract you from the message. They didn't do anything but set me on fire. It didn't distract me. It didn't make me waver from my faith. It didn't make me go, oh, God, why did this happen? I don't know. I don't understand. It didn't do any of that. I just said, thank you, God, that she's okay. Thank you, God, that I've still got a mission to accomplish. So Nehemiah sets up some gatekeepers But I like what Elsie does. Well, singers and the Levites were appointed. See, the singers and the Levites were appointed. Is this what the first thing that you would do if you were trying to get a city ready to get back into business? I tell you what we need, y'all. We need some people to watch the gates, and we need a choir. Yeah. Right. I mean, that, that's, it makes sense, right? Singers and Levites. Levites are in charge of the temple, in charge of taking care of the temple. So Nehemiah, I love this because it shows the picture of what kind of people they were, man. These were people that sing praises. So they need some, 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 some leaders in singing those praises. So yeah, for Nehemiah, the most important thing was to get the gates secure and then let's start singing to the Lord about how good he is. Let's start getting the temple ready for us to be able to make sacrifices to this good Lord that we sing about. Man, that's why, I look, I, I love worship time, y'all. I, I, not the preaching so much. I'm not a big fan of that. But the worship time I love up here. It, it, it's amazing. And some of y'all have told me you feel the same way. And I, I, I appreciate that positive feedback. But, um, man, these are worshiping people. These are people who wanted to get back close to God and sing praises about how good God was. And Nehemiah says, let's get a choir together and let's go. And that's what we see here. And, and these people are, they're like, all right, man. And, and this sets us up for what's going to happen later on in chapter 7. And, and I love that. And, but, but Nehemiah, he's got, he's got the government to take care of. I gave the responsibility of governing Jerusalem to my brother Hananiah, and along with Hananiah, the commander of the fortress. For he was a faithful man who feared God more than most. So Nehemiah sets up some other people. He entrusts some other people to do some of the work, to be some of the leaders. He picks a guy named Hanani, which he was, he was his brother, actually, that, that came. You remember when there was a couple of guys that came back to tell him the situation in Jerusalem and how bad the walls were and all that? You remember that? Nehemiah chapter 1, well, this is, this is the same dude. So he's coming back now, and, and Nehemiah says, I need you to be a governor for me. I need you to be in charge for me. Because Nehemiah can't do it all by himself. He's got to have some help. He, he's got to have some help. And, and he's got Hananiah, and Hananiah, I mean, I'm like, 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 it's like naming your two sons Jason and Jason, you know, like. But anyway, so. He, he, the commander of the fortress, and he was a faithful man who feared God more than most. So who did he put in charge? People that feared God, who, who were faithful to God. As, as we, in, at Simple Church, as, as we have work to be distributed, as we have people that are to be leaders in this place, we have to have faithful men of God, men who fear God. And this, this man it is really a, a picture of men, but not necessarily just men, because I'm telling you, women can, can be faithful women of God, and they can fear God as well. So when that says man, look at it as a generic term, which is to say people. So I said to them, do not leave the gates open during the hottest part of the day. And even while the gatekeepers are on duty, have them shut, the, shut and bar the doors. Appoint the residents of Jerusalem to act as guards, everyone on, regular, on a regular watch. Someone will serve at sentry posts and some in front of their own homes. What's he saying here? He says, all right, man, here's how we got to handle the gates. Here's the gate situation. Um, he tells them when they can open the gates and when they can't and, and just for the protection of the people. But notice this, that not only do the the gatekeepers have a responsibility, not only does does he appoint some men who are faithful and fear God as leaders of these people, not only does he get a choir together and the Levites together to take care of the temple, not only does he do that, but he also says each and every person has a responsibility. Each and every person that is among you has got a responsibility to do their part. Let me tell you something, as the family of God, as the people of God, we all have our own responsibility that we, we can't just sit down and sit on our hands and come in here and listen to the worship and, and listen to the message and then not do anything. We all have a responsibility. I, I can say this about Simple Church, and I am thankful for this. Somebody was telling me the other day, they were like, man, you can't come to Simple Church and just sit around. I love that about y'all. Now, I didn't do that. Y'all did that. But people start to feel uncomfortable if they just sit around and don't do anything. Am I right about that? I love that. I'm smiling right now because I love that about y'all. Like, if you just come in here and sit around for a little bit, you're like, man, I got to do something. Everybody else is doing something. I got to do something, you know? I love that about this place. It's because we have our own gifts as the body of Christ. We have our own gifts, our own abilities. We have our own purpose, our own duties. Some, some of you are called to go to Haiti tomorrow. Some of you are called to go to Uganda for the rest of your life. Some of you are called to go and start a church down the road. But we all have our own responsibility. And we all have to do something. And if we're going to be a strong people like the people of Jerusalem, if we're going to be a strong people like that, then we've got to do something. The people, you know who were the outcasts? You know who were the people that didn't really, really fit in in that day and time where Nehemiah was in charge and these people were doing this stuff? The people that did nothing. They were the ones that didn't fit in. we got to be that kind of people. We're the people that don't fit in. It, it doesn't matter what you wear, what you look like, how much facial hair you got. Amen. The only thing that matters is, is, is how much work you're doing for the kingdom of God. And if you're not doing anything, you look like an outcast. We're all a bunch of misfits, but we're all equipped for some purpose, and God has given us a purpose. Now, I recognize some of you young folks, you're trying to find your purpose. You're trying to understand what that is. Some of us old folks are in the same boat, trying to figure out what that purpose is. But trust me when I tell you you've got a purpose, and if you want to find out more about this, you should come on Wednesday nights where we talk about finding your purpose. That's a good little plug for Wednesday night, wasn't it? The people of God have a purpose here, each and every one of them. Some of them serving in front of their own homes. Some of you may need to focus your service more on your own home. Just a little tidbit there for you. At that time, the city was large and spacious, but the population was small, and none of the houses had been rebuilt. At that time, the city was large and spacious, but the population was small and none of the houses had been rebuilt. You know, that you could kind of just gloss right over that and, and ignore what it said there as you're doing your one-year study Bible, but to me, that kind of says something to me. The city was large. You know what that implies if the city was large? The walls, there's a lot of them, Right? Like if the city's big, there's probably going, if the walls go around the city, then that means the walls are going to be big. The task is enormous. The challenge for rebuilding the walls was big because the city was enormous. But look what else it says. But the population was small. You mean to tell me that there's a group of people A small group of people that were called to set out on a large task of rebuilding these walls. Yeah, that's exactly what I'm telling you. That that there may be 12 guys that were called by God to change the world. And one of them said no. And you always got the choice to say no. But over 2,000 years ago, those guys walked this earth. Now, we're still talking about it today. I'll say those 12 guys did a pretty good job, right? Small group of people called to a large task. And look what else it says. And none of the houses had been rebuilt. That's a bunch of homeless people. Now, I'm sure that their houses, they probably had pieces of houses, and they were probably living in little shanties and you know, had a piece of tin thrown up here and a tarp over there and just to keep a roof over their head. But it says the houses hadn't been rebuilt. So you mean a bunch of homeless guys and girls called to an enormous task and they're to put their houses on hold for just a minute, rebuilding their houses, putting their comfort on hold for just a minute so they can go and tackle this enormous work of God that is set before them. Yes, that's exactly what I'm saying. That's a focused people. That's a people who have a heart for God that says, you know what? My own comfort, I'm going to put that aside for a second. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to focus on this thing that God has called me to do. And that's going to be my primary focus. And when we get that done, then yeah, maybe I'll go and rebuild my house. Maybe I'll go and make sure i got a, a secure, nice, plush place to live. I'll worry about my comforts second to this work of God that has been placed on my life profound stuff right it's a profound picture of what we're called to as God's people it says so God gave me an idea to call together all the nobles and leaders of the city along with the ordinary citizens for registration I had found a genealogical record of those who had first returned to Judah this is what was written and I'm just going to read the first part of this because I can't pronounce a lot of these names Here is a list of the Jewish exiles of the provinces who returned from the captivity. King Nebuchadnezzar had deported them to Babylon, but now they returned to Jerusalem and the other towns in Judah where they originally lived. And he goes on to list all of these families. I mean, if you look there in, in in your Bible, you can see how many people of each family and And it goes on and just lists in detail about some of the stuff that they brought with them when they came back. And I mean, like, you can read this and you can read on and on. But I think that that what God is saying, and the reason God took this passage and put it in His Word and thought it was so important is because these people needed to be reminded of who they were. These people needed to be reminded of the fact that they were true Israelites. They were true people of God. Remember what happened. The walls got torn down. And what did we say that the walls represented? The walls represented the the provision of God, the the protection of God on God's people. The fact that they had disobeyed God, gotten away from God, started worshiping other gods, and God allowed the Babylonians to come in and take them over and destroy the walls and take them into captivity... And now they're coming back, and the walls are rebuilt. It's time for them to start acting like a family again. So what does Nehemiah do? He said, you guys need to be reminded of who you are. You you need to be reminded of who God created you to be. Who you are in God. You need to be reminded of the family that you belong to. And He goes on and he lists all the families, and the fact that these people were true Israelites. You know what we need to be reminded of as Thanksgiving approaches, and we're thinking about what we're thankful for. You need to be reminded of who you are in Christ Jesus. Ephesians chapter two verse ten tells us that we are a new creation, we're God's masterpiece. We're a new creation, created to do good works that he has set before us a long time ago. You know what? Sometimes we forget who we are in Christ. Sometimes we forget that God has installed himself in our hearts, that we have the very presence of God dwelling within us. We forget who God has called us to be. We forget that God has a purpose for each and every one of us. We forget the fact that God has laid out all these things for us to do, that each and every one of us has a purpose. And God just maybe today wants to remind you who you are in Christ Jesus. That because you're a new creation in Him, you have all these things set before you that He's got planned out for you. And maybe you just need to be reminded. So today what we're going to do is we're going to... Some people call it the Lord's Supper. Some people call it Communion. We're going we're to draw close to Christ by remembering what he did on the cross for all of us. We do this from time to time here at Simple Church. We, we take the Lord's Supper and, and we just take a time where we just get close to God by remembering what Christ did for us. And in just a minute when we sing, these guys are going to pass out the bread and the juice and we'll have a time where we just fellowship with Christ, remembering what He did for us and remembering that we're a new creation in Christ Jesus. If you're not a Christian, some people make a big deal out of this, if you're not a Christian, let me tell you something. You can drink the juice and you can take of the bread, but all you're doing is drinking juice and taking bread. If you're a Christ follower, then this means something to you. This, this is helping us to remember what Christ did for us and who we are in Christ Jesus. And Luke records this for us as he talks about uh, his, his last moments with Jesus here on earth. He took the cup of wine and gave thanks to God for it. Then he said, take this and share it amongst yourselves. For I will not drink wine again until the kingdom of God has come. And he took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. And he broke it into pieces and gave it to his disciples saying, This is my body which is given for you. Do this to remember me. The way we do it here at Simple Church is this, is that we pass it out. And when you're ready, you eat the bread and you drink the juice but don't do it until you're ready. And what do I mean by that? Get your heart right. When your heart's right, then you take it. If that's here in the next two songs as we pray and we come and we, we talk to God, whatever we need to do to get our hearts right, if, that, if that's in the next two songs, then do it then. If it's not until two weeks from now, hang on to it and do it then. It's on you. This is your relationship with Christ. This is about you remembering who you are in Christ Jesus. This is about your heart being right as you take this in remembrance of him. So let me pray. Father, thank you, God, for us being a new creation in Christ Jesus. Thank you for reminding us of that today. And sometimes we forget who we are. Lord, I pray that as we do this in remembrance of you, We're reminded of the sacrifice that you made for us and the fact that we are your masterpiece and we are a brand new creation in you. So, Lord, I pray that people would be repentant in their heart, that they would get their hearts and their lives just in alignment with you, God, as they they take this time to commune with you, to draw close to you, to remember what you did for them. Lord, we thank you for the sacrifice of our Savior Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross. Now that it was my sin... That held them there on the cross. But because of you, because of you, he's alive. And he's, he's there for me, constantly reminding me of who I am in him. that there's, there's no more sin that, that it's all done away with, that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus and, and now get the, the experience, the freedom of just being in your arms and trusting you. Doesn't mean that I don't fear you any longer, Lord. It just means that I have an intercessor, somebody that comes between me and you to plead my case. So, Lord, I pray now that we get our hearts and our lives right as we take of this bread, as we take of this juice, to celebrate what you did for us. God, be glorified in this time. In Jesus' name. Amen. Would you all stand?